I'm Kendall, one of our pastors and leaders, if I haven't met you, and excited to share with you this morning today as we continue our Beyond series. And as we move into this year, there's probably a word you've heard on the news, you've seen it on social media, you've, uh, you're, it's been talked about at the Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner table this year, and it's a word we're all familiar with. Recession, 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 okay? So that word is out there. It is part of our world right now. We are in a time of economic downturn. And the world goes through times of economic ebbs and flows. I personally believe San Diego needs to be the most business-friendly city in our state. And I tweeted that to Elon Musk, by the way, yesterday. But, but e e even with all that, there's a lot of bad news out there. And so the question is, how does that relate to our faith? How does that relate to our life? Because, man, there are some big challenges in our world. There are some big challenges in regards to finances. But God is abundant. Would you look at your neighbor and say, God is abundant. God is abundant. I'll prove it to you. It's in the Bible. This isn't a new age affirmation, okay? John 10.10 says this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came, this is Jesus talking, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Great passage many of us are familiar with, but I spent some time over the last couple weeks going a little deeper into this passage, and I loved understanding the original meaning of this word, abundant. So I'm going to put up some different translations of that word, abundant. I'm terrible with Greek pronunciation, but perisos, I'm just going to say that's what, it, that's what it pronounced like. You can check me later. Okay, and there's some other translations of that word superior extraordinary surpassing uncommon excellent more than necessary and beyond okay. beyond okay so here's a word for you today all people's church jesus came that you could have a life beyond and that means beyond the current economic downturn beyond your current financial circumstances god is abundant and he is taking you beyond so today we're going to speak on the subject your money mindset this is about you today, your money mindset, and how God is going to take you from behind to beyond. Because, man, when, when money comes up, whether it's with a group of friends or pastors or maybe here at church, I find that that feeling of behind is the feeling most people have. They're like, should have saved more, should have asked for the promotion, this isn't organized, oh, no, where's my will, you know, all these thoughts people have. About, about different things, but God wants to take you from behind to beyond. But in order to test our money mindset, we actually need to know where it's at right now. So it's pop quiz time, okay? We're gonna have a little money mindset pop quiz. Cue the quiz music, please. Here it is, the money mindset quiz. First of all, there will be no math in this quiz. For those of you that have math anxiety, that's okay, you're free, you're free here. Number two, I will be not taking up your answers, and please don't raise your hand because, you know, you don't want to be embarrassed, okay? <laughs> all right, so here are the three questions. They're all true or false. The money mindset quiz, true or false. Don't yell them out, but just think about them. God cares about how I spend, save, and earn my money, okay? True or false. God cares about how I spend, save, and earn my money. Number two, true or false. Whoa, no, 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 wait. <laughs> we didn't practice this. Number two, money is a necessary evil. Number three, tithing, which is giving 10% of your income to God as worship, okay? Tithing is part of the Old Testament and therefore doesn't matter 
today? True or false? Okay, think about those really quick. Okay, number one, does God care? Hold on, before I spend, save, and earn my money. Let's see, true or false? False. It's not your money. This is the biggest key. If you can remember anything from this Sunday, if you get this, you will be free. You will tap into God's abundance because Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm chapter 50 says this about what the Lord owns. He owns it all. He's described as a wealthy rancher. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, it says. All the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you for the world and everything belongs to me. That's what the Lord says about what he owns. That's what Jesus taught. He taught that God is like a wealthy owner that gives us things to steward. So it's a stewardship mindset of his resources, not about living our life and giving God a little something on the side. Okay, number two. Number two, you can tell there's going to be some quick trick questions now. Okay, number two, true or false? False. Money is a necessary evil. False. The love of money is what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 is the root of all kinds of evil. And I'm not disputing that, by the way. It is. And that's what I tell my kids when we drive by these dispensaries, when we see drugs in our city, when we see people that are trapped in different kinds of addiction. They say, why? How did that happen? Because the love of money is the root of evil. There's people that are greedy, that are taking advantage of other people, and that helps them understand that. But that doesn't necessarily make money evil. Money can do a lot of good. Actually, there was gold in the Garden of Eden before there was even sin in Genesis chapter 2. Okay, question number three. Question number three. This is a lot more exciting with the music. No offense, sound team. Okay, question number three. All right, here we go. Tithing is part of the Old Testament, and therefore it doesn't matter today. Also false. Tithing is blessed in the New Testament. Jesus actually said this in Matthew 23, verse 23. He said, when you tithe, do it this way. The book of Hebrews talks about giving our tithes to the Lord as Abraham did to Melchizedek even before the Old Testament law existed. Okay? And then, furthermore, Paul talks about taking up collections for the early church at the beginning of the week. Now, now that has nothing to do with your your salvation or your love or acceptance in the church or any of that, but the principle of first fruits remains in our life. And if we honor God with our first and our best, he promises to be our senior partner, and it's a much better deal than Shark Tank, I can assure you. So we've been journeying through the book of Exodus together. You can turn off the music now, thank you. The book of Exodus. We've been journeying through the book of Exodus together, and... As we've been doing that, the book of Exodus is about deliverance. It's about freedom. It's about the journey from slavery into sonship. And so what happened with the people of Israel is that they actually were in their chosen land. And Joseph, generations beforehand, a brilliant economist, we worked for Pharaoh, and he orchestrated a plan to save the earth from famine. So the people of Israel, they moved from, from their area in Arabia in the Middle East um, and, they, and they actually traveled, okay, to Egypt. Generations later, they were still there. And new pharaohs came that did not know the people of Israel. They didn't know Joseph. So they enslaved the people of Israel. They owned nothing. They had nothing. They, um, they had generations in that mindset of, of being subject to the people of Israel. Thank you so much. And that's where we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 12. As the people of Israel are set free, it happens in a moment. You've seen the movie, right? 
Exodus, okay? Like, they part the Red Sea. They're free in a moment. God proclaims freedom to them, and they are free. But their transformation takes a little while, right? They're free in a moment, but their transformation takes a little while, and they go on a journey in the wilderness of God transforming them. And one of the things that God has to transform is their mindset regarding money and possessions. Let's see the, the deliverance moment in which God not only sets them free, but starts to bless them with some possessions that they did not have for generations. We pick it up here in Exodus 12, 29 through 36. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. So this was a great moment of a transfer of wealth. Israel had owned nothing for hundreds of years. God set them free. And then he sits them out with a down payment. He's like, you're going to the promised land, but let me give you some clothes, some silver and gold on the way. I think this is really interesting and as the Israel journeyed into the promised land with these possessions, there are three things they needed to learn about money and possessions. And there are three biblical truths that I believe the Lord wants to emphasize in your life today. Number one, money is a tool. Say money is a tool. Money is a tool. Number two, money is a test. Say money is a test. Money is a test. Number three, money is training. Say money is training. Money is training. First point, money is a tool. One of the big mistakes that people make in our society, in our Christian culture today especially, is extremes about money. And that is why when you're in church and a pastor comes up like me, like I'm doing this very moment, and gets up and says, I'm going to talk about money today, you tense up. <laughs> you're like, okay, which, which extreme are we going to be talking about today? And I just want to say that money has no moral value in and of itself. Money is a tool. The two extremes, actually, we see in the church, one is a vow of poverty, right? Some people, when they think of money, they think, hey, the most spiritual thing would be to not have any possessions, right? The most spiritual thing would be to have as little as possible so I rely on God every, every day. Then my faith would be really strong. Possessions are dangerous. Uh, things like saving and insurance are viewed as, as wasteful. And I understand how people get into this headspace because sometimes God uses money to get our attention, right? And so we'll go through times of lack or scarcity because he is wanting to grow our faith, but that's not where we live, okay? Number two, the other extreme, extreme prosperity. So in this worldview, the more faith you have is associated with the more money you should have. So God is more like a Santa Claus or a spiritual ATM. You, you go to prayer, you say the right combination, and money just prints out, okay? So that's very appealing. And the physical needs and desires of our world are so powerful, but God warns us about this in Philippians 3.9. He says, don't let your God be your stomach. There your glory will be your shame when your mind is set on earthly things. Here's the problem about both of these worldviews, extreme prosperity, extreme poverty. They're both about us. They're, they're both about the money that we have. So whether you think one thing is more spiritual or another is not the issue. Your focus is still on yourself. 
Remember how it all belongs to him? Haggai chapter 2 says this, And I will shake all nations, so the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. It all belongs to him. So money is a tool that God gives us to walk out our calling. Money is a tool that God gives us to walk out our calling. And in that moment where the people of Israel were called to something new, God gave them that great deposit of finances. Um, so if you have kids, part of your calling is providing for them. That's right. You need money. Yeah. Somebody say amen. Oh, got an amen out of you. Great. Okay. <laughs> to walk out your own calling, you probably need a house or an apartment in a certain area. God's going to provide for that. Right? So you can be around the right kind of people, okay, that you're to minister to. If you're required training for your calling, school is going to cost money. God will provide. Money is a tool that God gives you to walk out your calling. You might say, hey, that's easy for you. You know, you're a pastor. I have a boss. I have clients, right? I've got deadlines. This is why the Bible commands us to work as if we're working for him. Colossians 3.23 Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. God knows where to find you. He knows where you're going to be tomorrow morning. Sometimes I think he's actually more concerned with Monday morning than he is with Sunday morning in our lives. Are we applying what we're learning? And he's given you that tool to live out your calling. That's step one. Uh, point number two in terms of a money lesson that I believe God wants to emphasize in your life today is that money is a test. <laughs> money is a test I like feedback, that's great You can keep going Money is a test This is exactly what Israel faced Right when they went into the wilderness Right? I don't know if you've ever been to a wilderness If you've ever been to a desert But there's not much water there And that is exactly what Israel found out There's actually two tests we face in our life Regarding money The, the first test is in times of scarcity in times of lack. And the second test is, is idolatry. When we have some money, are we going to put our faith in that? Or are we going to put our faith in God? And because God was intent on transforming Israel's mindset, the people of the Hebrew people, they went through these two tests. Okay, so Exodus 15. They moved right into the wilderness, and this is what happened. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. The test of scarcity. Uh-oh. No water. So funny how quickly we forget what God did. Right? Like, God parted the Red Sea. Like, surely he has a desalination miracle up his sleeve somewhere. Amen. Right? Okay. Moses makes a rule and statue for them after they complain, after God miraculously provides. He says, if you'll diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. And what's interesting about this complaint, about this test that the people of Israel came through is, you know what was right around the corner? An oasis. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. Sounds like a nice place to stay. You know, they, they actually failed that test as they began to grumble and complain in a time of scarcity. God's provision is just around the corner. 
Amen. Amen. Hold on. Hold on to the Lord. Eventually, Israel finds himself in another time of testing, the test of idolatry. And this is the test we go through when we do have some possessions and we have the desire for comfort. Right? Anybody been there? (laughs) Right? Get real. Okay? We all have the desire for comfort. That's something that we all need and want. And as Israel goes through the wilderness year after year after year, they accumulate a little bit more and a little bit more. And eventually that desire takes over. Exodus chapter 32 is is early on the journey. And this is what they encounter. Moses is delayed. He comes down from the mountain. And the people gather themselves together to Aaron. And they say to him, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Where did that gold come from? Egypt. Right? It came from Egypt. Eventually it came from God. Amen. But it came, this, is, this is what they plundered from the Egyptians. Okay? So they took that gold, and then they, Aaron receives the gold from their hands and fashions it into a golden calf. And the grievous thing that he says is they all say together, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They failed the test of idolatry with that moment at the golden calf, that moment where they chose to worship their gold. They chose to make God in their image, in the image of their comfort and of their desire. A calf was a, was a symbol of prosperity, a symbol of abundance, a symbol of fertility. And they chose to make that their God rather than the Lord himself. God's, one of God's desires for our income and what he provides for us is that we use it to worship him. But why? Because he doesn't need it. We already established that. So giving isn't for God. It's for us. Giving frees us from this test of idolatry. It reminds us that it all belongs to him. We're on the journey with him, right? And by the way, God can make money anywhere, right? I mean, you know, there's a guy that, you know, has this miraculous catch in the Bible. Jesus talks about fish coming out of, or coin coming out of fish's mouth. I almost said fish coming out of coin's mouth. That would have been a real miracle. Um, but but God, God has the ability to bring money to you in so many ways. But he tests us with our giving, with opportunities to be generous, to see if we remember it all belongs to him. That's why the Bible says in regards to the tithe in Malachi chapter three, the Lord says, test me in this. Test me in this. See if I won't be good to you. See if I won't open the heavens. So this is what I want to encourage you as a Christian, as a believer, um, as one of your leaders. I just want to encourage you to be on the journey of generosity. Here's a little slide for you. Journey of generosity You know, as we, as we come into relationship with God, God touches our hearts. And oftentimes, we choose to make our first gift. Our first gift to God, our first gift to another person, our first gift to the church. And God touches our hearts to be generous. And what we find when we do that is it actually feels good. Because it's more blessed to give than receive. And we build our faith muscles. And we build our giving muscles. And then... Maybe for you, maybe you, as you've gone through this journey, then you've said, you know what? This is actually, maybe it's this church or another church. This is going to be my church family. And so I'm going to start being a recurring giver. I'm going to, I'm going to give to the Lord 
through the ministry of this church because this is my storehouse. This is where I'm receiving teaching and worship and education and investment from, from spiritual leaders. And so you've chosen to become a recurring giver. And you said, you know, I'm going to do this regularly. I'm going to make this a regular spiritual practice in my life. And, and that's where a lot of people go on the journey. And then there's step three, right? Testing the tithe. And, you know, the Lord says, test me in this. I, I remember when, when my wife and I, and by the way, as I'm talking on finance today, anything in my life, my wife has also lived. So I want to honor her in this, in this journey. But we, we were early in our marriage, and I had a, an old car that the starter was constantly going out, right? And she's smiling because eventually the accelerator also broke on that car, and I almost wrecked it. <laughs> but um, the starter went out, and we had a life group we were living, leading in another part of town, mostly of people that, that didn't know God. It was kind of a, an outreach. And we thought, well, how are we going to get to this life group? And we kind of worked it out, and we brought the starter to a, a, a mechanic shop. And we owed $300. Oh, sorry, $270. We owed $270. And we thought we didn't have that. And so we drove our other car um, to, the, to the life group, and we were there. And unbeknownst to us, this life group of very immature, very immature Christians, very new Christians, very broken people, not, not even knowing what our needs were, they had come up with an offering for us that they felt like God had told them to do of $300. And right then, you know what I decided with my life? $30 to tithe, the first fruits, $270 for the starter. Thank you, Lord. And that's a discipline that you build in your life. I remember one friend we have that she got gotten saved at our church, and she started tithing the next week. And we asked her about it. It's like, what caused you to do that? And she said, well, isn't that what Christians do? You guys talk about it every week at church. <laughs> that week, her office got an accidental bonus, everyone in the payroll. And she walked around and said, thank you very much for the bonus. I tithe this week and just want you to know that. Okay, so tithing, all right? The Lord comes through on your behalf. And then there's above and beyond giving, which is just such a grace. It's such a beautiful thing to be able to invest in God's kingdom with your extra and, and see the Lord touch people's lives and transform him. But where are you on the journey of generosity? And what might God do in your life as you pass these different tests? of scarcity and the test of idolatry. And how is he calling you to respond? Money is a tool. Yes. Money is a test. Number three, money is training. Money is training. Why did the Lord always use practical provision to get the Hebrews people's attention in the desert, whether it was the manna, whether it was the quail, whether it was water, whether it was their survival? It, it's because it's so tied to our hearts. That's what Jesus taught. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And so he was trying to teach them to follow his leadership, that everything belongs to him. That, yeah, just because you're not under Egypt anymore, that doesn't mean that you're going to build your own empire. That doesn't mean you're going to build your own kingdom. This is about me and my kingdom. And so as they went through those tests, God used their possessions to train them, and it is exactly what Jesus taught. Luke 16, chapter, uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 11. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, speaking about just the world's money, whether it's U.S. dollars, pesos, or Bitcoin, it doesn't matter, okay? So if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? So there's the earth's riches, 
And then there's the true riches. The true riches are the kingdom of God. The true riches are people's lives. The true riches are the beauty and the diversity and the wealth of the nations. That's what the parable of the talents teaches. That's what Jesus taught. And he calls us to multiply what he's given to us as an honor and a worship to him so that he can increase the spread of the kingdom in this world. Amen. Amen. Money is a tool. Money is a test. And money is training. I thought a lot about how I wanted to end this sermon because we're not taking an offering. This is just a general discipleship message, not anything going on. And I thought, Lord, what would be the, the most helpful thing? And what God put on my heart was rather than to share my own stories is to share your stories. Because what I've seen in this church is God has been using money and possessions to train us. And I want to just testify to the Lord for a minute of how I've seen him work in your lives. As many of you have told me this, and these are all anonymous stories. But I want you to think about this because these stories are people that are sitting in the seats next to you. And as they've chosen to honor the Lord and as they've chosen to step out in faith in regards to their finances, God has broken through in their lives and God will break through in yours. In Jesus' name, amen. I think of a, a contractor in our church who, who uh, was talking to me about how he came to one of our building campaign meetings. And at that time, God challenged him to tithe. Um, at the time, he was, he was an employee um, at an organization, uh, had very little extra and very little influence. He began that process of tithing and God promoted him. There were several work journeys he went along the way. Now about four years later, he's a business owner that employs people and has the time that he wants to invest in ministry. He who is faithful and little will be ruler over much, amen? amen. I think of one of our missionaries who had additional $15,000 expense to put their kids in school this year. And as they were driving to the airport, they prayed, Lord, maybe there's a way that that money could come through the airline. Well, they find themselves stuck in Atlanta, Georgia, and the uh, announcer comes on during the, the layover and says, if anyone would like to sell their tickets, you know, for because the flight is overbooked, you know, come on forward. And the price just kept going up to where they got above and beyond that $15,000 what they needed for their children's education and a free vacation in Atlanta, Georgia. All right. Sure, they had some barbecue. Um, I think of a young professional who was raised in a family um, and had a heart for missions. And God put a region of China on his heart, but he never knew how he would get there. But his family purposed in their heart to give to missions in that area. He found himself in college and was selected for a study abroad program in that very same region and was able to go there and teach the underground church. Amazing. I think of a couple in our church who early in their marriage had nothing. They could go out to fast food once a week. They would have to pregame at home and couldn't even afford a simple meal if they went out with friends. Uh, and God called them to make a huge move from the East Coast to San Diego and said, I don't want you to move anywhere in San Diego. I actually want you to move to La Jolla. And so they, they went on that journey, and the Lord provided for them miraculously with two amazing jobs and starting a business. And they were able to move to that region and experience financial provision. And then, after being there for a number of years, God called them to a different ministry in a different part of San Diego where it made even less sense. And they chose to go on that journey, and God has used that to increase their influence, their income, and most importantly, their walk with him. And now they're actually advising business leaders in the whole region about the economic trends of San Diego. I think of one family in our church who was in the School of Transformation um, that wanted to buy a business 
but they had the conviction because they had talked with James about it that they should not be in any new, new debt during the school of transformation. And God provided for them to buy a business worth, worth um, you know, in the six figures without any debt that year. They moved forward on that decision and they faithfully get served and gave to the Lord's work during the church in this time. And as they did that, new business kept continuing to come in. Um, they talk about one story where they actually got up in the morning and said, Lord, we would love to have $100,000 to reinvest in our business. We don't know where it's going to come from. And that day, getting a call that they had an, a, a new tax credit for that same amount. Um, they, they decided to start tithing and giving and have had many ministry opportunities. And uh, I think on a, on a recent week during some, during some storms and some things that were going on in our city, had just recently had their biggest day of business ever with over 21 contracts coming in in one day. I think of um, one of our staff members who came to me and said, I've done the math for this year for inflation. Our family with the exact same spending habits is spending $1,200 more a month due to inflation. Uh, we didn't know what to do. So we got together and we prayed and God provided three new contracts this week. I think of a couple that had a heart to buy a very certain house and a promise from the Lord to do that. They got together, uh, they prayed, they made an offer on the, host, the home, and then they found out they didn't get the contract. Um, it was really disappointing, not necessarily because of the house, because they tied their heart to it. It was a promise from God. They uh, got together that night and prayed in worship and said, God, if, if this word still applies, we ask that you work it out some way. They got a call that night that the other contract could come through. They're renovating that house right now. I, I just want you to know, if you believe it's all God's, he will give you the tools you need to walk out your calling. Amen. Let's stand together.